Good Monday morning. We're taking a break. Uh, we're going to come back to our, our Bible's reliable. In some sense, we're not leaving it. But last week, we left Count von Tischendorf in St. Catherine's Monastery, either saving scripture or robbing the monks. It's according to which way you look at what he did. And by the way, both sides are very valid. We're going to come back to that story after Easter. We have two Mondays before Easter. So I wanted to approach this. What does the Bible say about the resurrection? Who told you about the resurrection? But mainly, can we who are rational and living in a Western world with scientific principles, can we believe the resurrection occurred? Spoiler alert, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor of a church. So yeah, yeah, I do believe in the resurrection. But I wanna go through this. All right, I want to explain how evidence works and how it doesn't. Evidence is not proclamation. Richard Dawkins, perhaps the most uh, well-known uh, atheist of our day, uh, especially since Anthony Flew, who used to be uh, the, the greatest atheist in, in the world, at least the Western world, became a believer in, in his 80s, and that just upset them all. So Richard Dawkins now. Here's a quote from, from him. We come down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is so petty, so trivial. It's so local. It's so earthbound. It's so unworthy of the universe. Accounts of Jesus's resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. End of quote. Now here's a man who is an expert in evolutionary biology. He knows more about that than most anybody else that I could name on the planet. But does that make him an expert on history, logic, sociology, uh, theology, baseball, plumbing, how to lay asphalt? No. And see, here's the thing. We even have a phrase for it. We call it the Nobel disease. And that is the people that are really, really good in one thing and perhaps even get a big award like the Nobel Prize, then start talking about things that they know nothing about. And yet, they're the smart person over in this very narrow area. Therefore, what they believe about all things must be incredibly important. No, no, not, not even close. This is not an argument he's laying out, and neither are these statements of facts. These are assertions. He asserts it is petty. He asserts it is local. And he asserts a very weird thing there. It is unworthy of the universe. All right, let's just spend the next five days with Richard Dawkins making him explain that one phrase, and he can't do it. It's a completely meaningless phrase. And yet, if it's asserted by a fellow who is well-known in science, and again, not knocking science, I'm a science guy too, uh, it, but again, I'm a science guy, yay. But if you come to me and ask me which car to buy, everything you're gonna hear is an assertion. It's just something which I think and I feel. The facts, I might even think I have some facts, but I'm never gonna say to you, don't buy a Tesla, that's so unworthy of the universe, because that's a rubbish phrase. 
and yet they get away with it. They say them over and over and they get away with it. The fact is, none of the people in the group we call the new atheist, whether it's Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, you know, Demma, any of those, uh, are willing to engage with evidence when it's presented to them. None of them. And I don't think that's really fair. I, um, I engage with their evidence. I read their books. I watch their videos. But they're not going to read ours. And they're not going to read or watch believers. And some of them are, are so close-minded. You know, I, I love to watch the magic of uh, Penn and Teller. But um, Penn Gillette won't even let Christians in his home or be around his children because he's afraid they'll pervert them. When you're afraid of an avenue of information, whether it's from atheist fields or from Christian fields or Hindi fields, or there, there's, a, there's a problem. Your truth is too brittle and fragile. In debate after debate, atheists refuse to deal with the evidence. And for scientists, this should be astounding. The evidence for the existence of Jesus is overwhelming, even to the point where non-believers like Bart Ehrman have written entire books on it, saying it ab he absolutely lived, and the course of his life as laid out in the Gospels is very close to reality, they would say, except they'd strip out the miracles. It's kind of like, um, and it's true, that they were able to show the sound of music in North Korea at one time, when they were still allowing Western things to come in, but all the songs were taken out of it as a, because they were believed those were decadent. So it's a much shorter movie. Um, not sure how engaging it would have been. Regardless, actual historians, people who know history, like Ed Sanders of Duke University. By the way, I'm going to be quoting these fellas, but I'm getting these quotes from a particular place, and credit to whom credit is due. There's an Irish mathematician who has debated many of these new atheists, including Dawkins and Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens, several times. And um, he wrote a book, Gunning for God, Why the New Atheists Are Missing the Target. His John, name is John Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X. I would highly recommend his books because he's a scientist, brilliant in his field, able to defeat these people every single time in debate. And yet, when he writes books, Non-scientists can grasp what he's talking about. And that's brilliant. Ed Sanders, from a little place called Duke University, says there are no substantial doubts about the general course of Jesus' life, when and where he lived, approximately when and where he died, and the sort of thing that he did during his public activity. And then he goes and lists a long list that actually looks like a a Gospels historical timeline survey, and then some very secure things. He says, we may add here a short list of equally secure facts about the aftermath of Jesus's life. His disciples fled. They saw him, in what sense is not certain, that's him saying, after his death. And as a consequence, they believed that he would return to found the kingdom. They formed a community to await his return and sought to win others to faith in him as God's Messiah. Now, you know, Dr. Sanders here, Professor Sanders, is not trying to lobby for the Christian faith. He is not saying it is proven that Jesus raised from the dead. What he's saying is these new atheists that are claiming there's, you know, there's as much evidence as for Jack and a beanstalk, they're not historians. 
Historians say, oh, that he existed is really beyond question. And the general flow of his life is really beyond question. And how his followers acted after his death is not, there's, we can't question that. We've got good history for it. There's another little school um, that you may have heard of in Breton called Cambridge University and Christopher Tuckett um, and, and others. Uh, let's see, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Christopher Tuckett actually, I think now is at Oxford, but he wrote textbook that is used in the University of Cambridge on the historical Jesus. Quote, all this does at least render highly implausible any ill-fetched, far-fetched theories that even Jesus's very existence was a Christian invention. The fact that Jesus, is, Jesus ex existed, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate for whatever reason, and that he had a band of followers who continued to support his cause seems to be the bedrock of historical tradition. If nothing else, the non-Christian evidence can provide us with certainty on that score. In other words, we have enough stuff from Roman sources outside the Bible that we have no doubt of the life of Christ, his teachings, his death, and that his followers did not act like he was still in the grave, but rather had a renewed energy that spread the word of, of the resurrection of Christ, which they're not saying happened. They're just saying there, something happened and that we cannot doubt that historically. What would happen? What would happen if you only listened to Dawkins and little interviews like that on television and never engaged with the historians? You would think 100% Jesus didn't exist. This is all a myth. It's all rubbish. Resurrection, it's, an, it's unworthy of the universe, whatever that means. But if you go to the experts in the field, you got a whole different story. Quick parallel here. A few years ago, we had to leave our house for a couple of weeks because of ice damage. And we were put into a hotel by our insurance company. And every morning we'd go out to get the breakfast. And in the breakfast, they had a particular uh, morning show where people would do recipes and they would uh, every now and then say they were say, doing the news, but it was so shallow. It was so quick, right? no depth to it at all. And then they're going to celebrities and then they're laughing and telling stories about the weather. And there was zero depth or real information. And I looked at my wife and I said, if this is what most people hear, then they have no clue who they're voting for, why they're voting, they have no clue about what's going on in the world if this is the source of their information. And it was called a new show, by the way. Where are you getting your information? Because the well from which you drink matters. We can go, for, uh, go on, and we will, because we've got two weeks. This is just part one. Um, this one is from Professor um, Thiessen. Looks like Thyssen, uh, Gerd Thyssen. He's a leading German New Testament historian. He's also a liberal, uh, very liberal on theology. And so this would be a guy that you would expect to say, oh, it's all a metaphor. He goes, no, the mentions of Jesus and ancient historians allay doubt. That means it just shoves doubt to the side about his historicity. The notices about Jesus in Jewish and pagan writers, especially those in Josephus, 
the letter um, Serapion and Tacitus indicate that in antiquity, the histori historicity of Jesus was taken for granted, and rightly so, as two observations on the above-dimensioned sources show. The notices about Jesus are independent of each other. Three authors, three different backgrounds, and he's talking about outside scripture. Utilize information about Jesus independently. These are a Jewish aristocrat and historian, a Syrian philosopher, and a Roman statesman and historian. All three know about the execution of Jesus, but in different ways. Tacitus puts the responsibility on Pontius Pilate, Serapion on the Jewish people, and a testimonium Flavianum, uh, that's uh, Tacitus's writing, on cooperation between the Jewish aristocracy and a Roman governor. As a scandal, quote, he says, it cannot have been invented. You see, evidence matters. And when I'm going through scripture and I'm saying, this genocide that's mentioned didn't happen. This thing didn't happen. This is out of time. That's just handling scripture the way we're told to. Handle it correctly, figure it out. But that doesn't mean that we treat all events the same. The quality of evidence we have for the life of Christ, his birth, his life, I would even say his miracles, his death, and his resurrection is far beyond the quality of most anything else we get from history. Darwin, I'm sorry, Darwin, may as well call him that. He actually has a big statue of Darwin in his office. And, but Dawkins refuses to discuss the New Testament, except to bash it while claiming he's quoting it. And very often he gets the quotes wrong. And there are times that he'll even quote the New Testament and quote a book that's not in the New Testament. Uh, there are a lot of problems with Dawkins' books, but he doesn't do footnotes and annotations, so you never find out who told him about, and you cannot trace it to find out he got it wrong. That's a problem. There are, I'm gonna read numbers here, and in this format, you can stop and go back if you wish. I'm not gonna do PowerPoint slides. Perhaps I should someday, but not now. There are, to date, as far as I can ascertain, 5,664 partial or complete manuscripts of the New Testament. So let's just round it down to 5,600. There are 9,000 early translations of the New Testament into Syriac, Coptic, Arabic, Latin, and more. There are, and again, a lot of numbers, 32,289 quotations from the New Testament, quotations of New Testament words, stories, passages, in personal letters between early church leaders. All but 11 verses of the New Testament can be found in outside letters that people wrote to each other quoting scripture. Think of that. If we lost every Bible on the planet right like that, we could restore all but 11 verses of the, of the New Testament from just going to personal letters written back and forth between people in the first century and a half of the church. That's a lot of evidence. That's staggering evidence. There, by the way, the gap between when they were written and the earliest man manuscripts is less than 100 years. These are 
and they got the quotations right, so the, the scriptures were known. To compare, nobody that I know of believes that Tacitus's books, The Annals of Imperial Rome, are complete fiction. Nobody that I know that says that, but they were written about 116 AD. The first six books of that book, it had many volumes, only exist in one manuscript. They have one manuscript for that. We have 5,600 manuscripts for the New Testament. And yet, people who don't do science, uh, rather, who don't do history, but do science well, will stand up and say, there is no evidence. Ask them, was Tacitus an emperor of Rome? And did he write the annals of historical Rome? Well, yes, you idiot, of course he did. We have one manuscript from 116. Oh, forgot to bring up. No, I did. The, the oldest manuscript we have of that is from 850. Our Bible for the New Testament manuscripts are within a generation, maybe two, from latest and earliest in there. The bumping up, there's very little gap. Why would you reject one that has all the evidence and the other that doesn't? By the way, um, he wrote 16 books, um, and, um, and books 11 through 16, the first oldest copy we have of them is from the 1100s, so a thousand years after he wrote it, and nobody calls it fiction. Nobody says, oh, they made it up. By the way, there's always some fiction in autobiographies uh, and in histories because they're written by people. I hope you get the drift. They're not tossed away. They're looked upon as reliable sources of information. If we look at Josephus's book, The Jewish War, which is incredibly boring to me, if I'm honest, but it's out there dirt cheap to buy, you know, no copyright. Uh, we find our earliest copies date to the 10th to 12th centuries, but there's nobody that doubts that there was a Josephus that wrote these books. They may doubt some passages in the books. We can talk about that later if we have time. The manuscript that is second best and attestation. In other words, in numbers of copies and how close to the original they are, is Homer's book, The Iliad, which I also didn't care for much, but I had to read it twice in two different classes. Uh, that was, it was written about 800 BC, 800 years before Jesus. Our earliest manuscripts were written 1,000 years later. And that's the second best by late uh, second century AD, we find more copies being made. We now have a grand total of 643 copies, the last I heard. Um, it's not as impressive, is it? Not at all. Having many, many, many copies of a manuscript allow us to check for variants, for all manuscripts have them. About 2% of the New Testament has variants. In other words, this word, not that word, this phrasing, not that phrasing. It, it is the most accurate, however, and best attested book in all of antiquity. So one more thing, because I know we're, we're bumping up on 20 minutes uh, and we'll do part two next week. Luke chapter one, verse one, he says he's writing history. He uses names of rulers, their titles, the areas over which they served. And this used to make Luke a big target. He was attacked by historians all the way up through, I would say, the mid-1900s and some beyond. We now know Luke had it right. 
They used to deride him for calling Lysanias a tetrarch. Now we know he was. They used to get after him for saying that the leaders of the city of Thessalonica was, were called politarchs. Now we know they are. The unbelieving, the atheist, Irina Livinskaya of Russian Academy of Sciences in St. Petersburg University says that Luke's account has been validated by archeological research as well as the research of linguistics. She doesn't believe in God, but she believes Luke was a great historian. Sir William Ramsey, last one. I may have said last one before. One of the premier historians and archeologists of the last hundred years studied Luke for 20 years and concluded that there were references to 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and quote, Luke made zero mistakes. Next week, we'll talk more about the resurrection in particular. We've talked now, we have a reliable source of information. What next? Have a blessed week. If you need anything, you have questions, Patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Also go, if you would please, to YouTube, to Our Safe Harbor Church and subscribe and hit the bell. It helps us a lot when people are looking for Jesus stories and helps them find it because it moves it to the top of the search. God bless. Bye.